So I, I don't like my title. It doesn't really explain what I do on any level. Um, I've asked to change it, and we'll get there someday. But what I do is, is I pastor a homeless church. Like, I'm the lead pastor of a homeless congregation where from a Sunday to Sunday, you'll have between 170 and 250 people come to my church. 90% are or have been homeless at one time. And so, like, that's my people. So I'm not famous in the city except with the homeless. The homeless know who I am. And, and, and it was a special Sunday for me. Uh, Every year, I, uh, I believe in incarnational ministry, and, and every year I live on the street for a whole week. And so I've already done it for this, this year. Uh, and last year I did it, and I met a guy named Levi. Levi was staying at the Union Rescue Mission, and I stay there one night every week, every time. And I was staying there, and I met Levi, and Levi and I just started like, connect, connecting. It just went well. And so he, at the week that I spent out there, he spent like most of the day with me. And so we just built up this friendship, and, I just, and he was addicted to meth and homeless. And, and so he just started spending a lot of time with me and coming around the church. We got him housing and all that. And literally this morning, he preached his first sermon in my congregation. Yes. He has radically, from that week last July, radically changed his life. And, and it's just a, so I'm like filled up. Uh, these missionaries, I get it. Like I kind of live as a missionary within this city uh, to the homeless, caring for them. A, a people group that most people don't even want to look in the eye. I get it. That video started tearing me up of being with people who people just toss aside. So that's my story. That's who I am. That's what I do. And I absolutely love it. It's a joy and a gift. So I'm just filled up. I'm thankful to be here. I, this is either my fourth or fifth time preaching here at the bridge. I'm so, I love what you guys do. I love this church. I'm so thankful to be here. So let's read the word of God. I don't know if you guys stand or sit. You guys stand, I guess. <laughs> uh, okay, we're in Ephesians chapter 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. I should almost read that again. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Would you pray with me? God, we come to you saying, we know you are speaking because your word is being read. You are speaking. So if people need to just tone out to the words I say and literally just listen to your word, may they do that. But Lord, may I be faithful to you. May I be faithful to this word. May the words that come out be profitable and reflect the text. Bring it to application. Bring it to our hearts so that we may be moved to change, moved to look more like you, Lord, we want to love our Lord, our God, with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves, And that includes our children. So, Lord, help us to love well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Um, uh, right now, at City Life, we are preaching a sermon series uh, on relationships. 
And so we're doing a topical series. Usually we go passage by passage in a book, but in the summer, sometimes we do a topical, and so that's what we're doing. And last week, I got to preach, and my wife's a mental health counselor, and so she kind of came up on stage and talked a little bit with me, uh, because last week, I spoke about difficult people. And I was like, okay. And my wife is kind of an expert in dealing with difficult people. Uh, not that that's the only kind of people that go to counseling, but she definitely deals with them there. And this is a definition that I came across. We all have character issues. What sets difficult people apart is not adequately taking responsibility for or owning their part in their issues and how their character problems are affecting other people. And as I was doing this, I was like, oh my gosh. I have two difficult people that live in my house. <laughs> this is a picture of my family. Uh, my lovely bride, and then Keller in the, on the right. Uh, he's five and has full-on ADHD. And then I have Stott on the left. He's now two. This is a little old. And, and, and my wife right now is in a, if I'm honest, is in a period of burnout. Life right now is, is hard. My wife's an achiever. She's an Enneagram 3, if you know what that means. She loves to just get stuff done and be efficient. And right now, that, like, it's just kind of not there. A year, a, year, a little ago, I, I, got, I went through a three-month depression. And, and like the things I normally love to do, I just didn't do. And the truth is, is well, I got difficult people in my house. So the statistics will say, the statistics will say that the early years of childbearing is the most difficult time in your marriage. Like, and so I come here talking about this parenting thing to say, like, I'm in the trenches with you guys. Like, if you have young kids, oh my goodness, this is, whoa. And you know what I hear? From those that have teenagers, I heard it gets harder. <laughs> I'm like, nah, that can't be true. But, I heard, but it's different. Like, it's not task harder, but it's emotionally harder. And so, and so I just want to say, like, I'm in this with you. I'm not an expert. My wife wanted to be here today, and she was like, I just want to hear what you have to say to see if you live up to any, anything you teach. And then I said, well, and that's why the Lord didn't want you to come. <laughs> so I, I, I'm not an expert here. That's not my role. My, my role is simply to say, I think there's nothing more important here. But this is challenging. I did not know children would be, are the children in here or that they left? I did not know that. So sorry about calling them difficult in front of their face. <laughs> I was not told. Uh, so <laughs> uh, so uh, my sermon is going to basically be two main points, uh, and it's pretty clear in the text. I'm going to talk about children, and I'm going to talk about fathers slash parents. Okay? So let's dive into the first one, children. Verse 1, chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. First, what I want to say is, is that children, what this text assumes is is, is that children would be present for the reading of it. It's addressing children. 
This is a biblical concept to say children have value. Children should be spoken to. Children should be taught. This is beautiful that they're here. Like, the text is saying, it's addressing them. And it's, it's, this would be countercultural to Roman society, so this is saying their value. Two, it says obey. Obey. This is speaking to little children, like, meaning not like if you're 45, you still need to obey your mom and dad. But this, this, this text is a dealing with the younger children. And it says, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And the key, this is right. And what scholars pretty much agree on, that what this is referring to is, is that this is just nature. This is just how it's supposed to be. Everyone knows this, and every, like the Romans knew this, the Greeks knew this. This is common knowledge. You know, I don't know if you remember when, when you have that first child. You have that first child, and before you can leave the hospital, they make you watch a video. And you think, this is ludicrous. Why are they showing, having me watch a video to not shake my baby? Like, why are they doing this? And then... A month later, at 4 a.m., you're like, oh, that's the most genius video ever done. That, that was needed. That literally, a shake, just like that, could do serious permanent damage. That's how much parents are grown up, that we are made to take care of these things. They cannot, they cannot take care of themselves. It only makes logical sense that a child would need to obey a parent through life. And this is right. It's just obvious. A child, you, can't, you cannot take care of yourselves. I know you might not understand why, but there are reasons, I promise. So the text says we just have to do this because it's nature. It's right. Children, you must do this. But then the text takes a turn. And see, it, it, this, this text is talking specifically to children. And so what, in verse 2 and 3, what it does is, is it takes kind of a, a verse that's about everybody and then uh, uh, deals with it in a specific way, but I think also leaves the everybody in it. Let me show you. Verse 2. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment, with a promise that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. This is referring to the Ten Commandments. So the Ten Commandments is kind of the core, the building blocks, the framework of the Old Testament. If you want to know how to like, love, love Yahweh with all, your heart, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, follow the Ten Commandments. The first four commandments are towards God. Four, five through ten are about people. The great commandment is summarizing this. And so the, the Ten Commandments is for everyone. It's kind of this, this core, how could you get all these things down to the littlest thing possible? And there's some genius in this. Look what it says. Honor your father and mother, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Do you notice how it doesn't say, have affection for your mom and dad? Notice how it doesn't say, have mom and dad be your besties. You know how it even doesn't say, obey your mom and dad? Why? 
Well, because some mom and dad should not be obeyed for very long. Some mom and dads don't have, you're not going to have affection towards them for very long. Eventually, you're going to get to a season where that no longer lasts. It's no longer good. And so this is a general principle, but what it does say is you always, always can honor them. You always can honor them. You can't always obey them. You can't always have affection for them. But honor is a must. And, and then it gives a reason why this is so important. Look at it. It says that you may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Let me tell you a fairy tale that kind of communicates this point. Okay? A son and a daughter-in-law were sitting at a table. And grandpa comes in and he's eating and he makes, gets food all over the place. Like he's just sloppy. And so the, the daughter-in-law says, get out of here, you're gone. And takes him over to the corner in another room and has him always eat there. That's his place, that's where he will eat. Then... A few weeks later, what happens is, is that he's eating in that corner, and all of a sudden, he drops his bowl, and it shatters everywhere. And then, the, the daughter-in-law comes over, says, fine, if you're going to be disrespectful for your things, now I'm going to go, and you can eat out of this pig trough. If you're going to be a pig, you can eat like a pig. And then, a few weeks later, they're at the dinner table, and what they notice this is that son and daughter-in-law, they noticed their son, the grandson, doing some woodworking. Hey, what are you doing? Oh, I'm making a, making a trough so when you guys get old, you guys can eat here. Immediately, the couple realizes what they're doing, goes back to memories and realizes how they were raised. They bring the grandfather over and bring him to the table and allow him and honor him for the rest of their life. What Tim Keller says is going on is, is a society that destroys the family destroys itself. If you eliminate honor in the family, you will eliminate honor, period. That if, if you do not grow up and if you're not taught honor, the honor of a society will disappear. And so if, if, if you want a society to go well, honor your father and mother. Teach this. Do it yourself. See, what the text is saying is, is, is that children, you must learn authority. You need to learn honor. And, and it shows this by verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. The real authority is the Lord, and what parents are doing is, is as children are obeying, they're learning the authority of the Lord. They're learning authority in their life. Children, you need to learn authority in your life. See, bad authority, once Emily, uh, a sociologist named Emily Durkheim said this, if you give children the wrong kind of authority, at least they'll grow up and say, that was wrong, that was stupid. 
I'm going to find the right, I'm going to, sorry, I'm going to find the right kind of right and wrong. But if you give the children no teaching, no, sorry, wow. But if you give the children no teaching authority at all, the children will grow up not believing there is a right and wrong. So they can never get to the place of critical freedom because they are never in a position to be able to discern good from bad, wise from foolish. They die for a famine of authority. They die for a famine of authority. See, I think that we can see in our society that a lack of authority is going down. And so, children of all ages, all of you are children, I pose the question, how are you doing with honoring your father and mother? I'm not talking about obeying. I'm talking about honoring them. Is that something your children are seeing you do? Honoring your father and mother. Are you teaching bad authority? Are you teaching that we get to decide how to live? See, the truth is, is, is that we can make God in our image, meaning we can tell God who he is, or God can reveal to us who God is. And if we do not, if children do not understand authority, they will learn that I get to tell God who God is. And what this, is, this is text is saying is, is that there is authority that these children need to understand and learn. That, that, that's why it's, you need to obey because it's right, it's obvious, and it's in the Lord. It's what God wants for you. But then you need to honor them always for your life, your entire life. And this is how societies go well. This is how so, societies go bad. Uh, Ron Johnson is the, uh, he was a high up executive at Apple. And he is, uh, he actually is the creator of the Apple store. So he designed it all, came up with this genius idea. And so right now he has started a new company. Um, he became the CEO of JCPenney's that bombed and failed. And now he has started a new company. And this is his main premise. Is what he says this is that he was, every Thursday, he takes his kid to a donut shop and says that he will pay for any kid in his entire grade at the school if they come and just chat. He'll pay for their breakfast. And so there was one time where a bunch of kids were there, and he, he goes, who's the most athletic kid in the class, in the grade? Oh, and, and everyone was very clear. That's John. Oh, wow, John. And then, who is the most intelligent? That happened to be Ron's kid. Oh, wow. That's so awesome. That's so cool to see that. And then he says, who's the kindest kid? Oh, that's Bobby. And he goes, he goes, you want to know what? Kindness is the only one of those that's a choice. All of you could be very kind. Intelligence Athletic ability, that's more given. It's more natural. It's, but being kind is developed. But kids, you can be kind. 
And that's what this text is saying, is be that kind of person. Obey your parents. Honor your father and mother. Be kind in everything you do with your relationships with them. Now I want to go to point two. Fathers. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Some, some Bibles will say this could be fathers and mothers. Uh, I think that, I'll explain what I think in a second. Let me show you what the, kind of the geniusness of the text. Okay. Chapter 5, verse 22. I'm, so, verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this is saying everybody submit to one another. Okay? Everyone, that's the umbrella of this whole passage. Everyone submit to one another. Verse 22. This probably was your sermon last week. Wives, submit to your own husbands. So wives, you need to submit. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Wives, submit. Children, die for her. Okay? The, next, the text keeps going, and now it says, children, obey, have honor. Fathers, you need to make sure you do not push your children, not provoke them. Then it gets into slaves and masters. And see, what the text is doing is, is the first category is the, is the category that really has no power in the culture. Women, children, slaves. And then what's going on is the text is then doing the person that has all the power is the second one. Uh, husbands, parents, masters. And what's going on, the text is clearly, the, the emphasis is a challenge to the second one. That's what's going on in this text. The whole umbrella is all you guys need to submit. The fact that a husband would need to submit to a wife, the fact that a master would need to submit to a slave is a radical changing idea. And so this emphasis is, it's an overemphasis on the father because the father in this Roman context had complete and utter authority of his children. He could kill them if he wanted, sell them, put the laws on them. He had complete and utter authority on his children. And so then for this text to say, don't provoke them. Don't provoke, that, that I am responsible for how I push my children? This text is radically challenging this patriarchal society. And so the whole text is really saying, it's calling out these Romans, but I really do think it's also applied, and the Greek is ambiguous, that, that, it could, that it could be addressed to fathers and mothers, but it's definitely challenging fathers. And here's what it says. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Hello, somebody. I'm going to read a quote again. And let's, let's see if this relates to parents. We all have character issues. What sets difficult people apart is not adequately taking responsibility for or owning their part in their issues and how their character problems are affecting other people. Hello, somebody. See, parents who have all the authority 
who get to dictate all the rules. Wow, can we be difficult. Oh my goodness. I have, I have, I have a five-year-old son named Keller, named after Timothy Keller. Uh, I love this kid. He's very similar to me, ADHD, high energy, uh, very impulsive, energetic type of dude. And I get a call about four months ago from my wife. And she goes, well, Keller has locked me out of the house. Five-year-old. Uh, and baby Stott is upstairs sleeping. I oh, that raises stakes a little bit. I said, okay. And I said, okay, I'm coming home. Okay. And so as this is happening, Keller is, uh, our front door is glass. And so he's literally through the door just standing there like this. And, and Becca is like, dad's coming home, so you better open the door because he's going to unlock it. He goes, I'm waiting for dad. And Becca was like, you know what? That's probably pretty smart. I'm fired up. He's coming in fresh. You want good thinking, man. You're using some wisdom right now. <laughs> and so I go in. And, and, I, and as I'm driving over, I, I think too, and, and we just preached this book of Ephesians at our church in the spring. So literally this verse, specifically this verse, is going through my head. Like no joke. Don't provoke. Don't provoke. How do I do this? Okay. Uh, he really needs to learn this lesson. This is never okay. This is very dangerous. Don't do this again. He also needs to learn I love him. And it's okay to make big mistakes. And I'm always here for you. And I, I had this, I was like, how, what, what do I do? What do I do? And I realized, okay, I need to not do this one. I need to not, like, I'll do this later. I need to show the love right now. And so I walk up to the door. He sees me. And so he runs as he sees me. And he runs and puts his head under cushions. And showing shame, hiding, making it very clear he, know he, he knows he's done wrong. I don't need to push the conviction button. He knows he's done wrong. I walk in and I give him, I, I, I walk right by, I go, Keller, I love you. And I walk by and I get a glass of water and I just come in and I sit, I go, Keller, we're not going to talk about what just happened. Just come and sit with me. And I just calmed him down, calmed his body down, spent time with him. And then about an hour later, we really talked about it. That was me living this passage out. Now let me tell you two weeks ago when I did it. Uh, <laughs> we, ha we have a very old house. It's like in the 20s and it has beautiful hardwood floors. It's probably the big reason why I bought the house. It's in a diverse community. It, like, it is perfect. It's, I love my house. And I love my wood floors too much. And my son gets a permanent marker. Uh-huh. You know where this is going. And writes, like, all over my wood floors. And it stains them. And I look at him. And I say, Keller, this is the stupidest thing you've ever done. I know. I was there too. 
I shamed him. I, I did not do that with a good heart. I, I was not loving or kind. I was more caught up, and I love these floors. And what are you freaking thinking, buddy? And I want you to pay right now. I did. But see, what this text is calling us parents out is, is we need to understand what provokes us. We must be aware of how we are pushing our children in a certain direction. Are you making things bigger? Or are you de-escalating, de making things safe, loving, kind? So what this is saying is, is that the first part of the text, man, we, what will happen to a society that doesn't have honor and authority? This side of the text is, if you do have authority, watch out what you do with it. See, this text is challenging both sides. It's calling those who don't have authority to be obedient, Christ-like. And then it's calling out those that have authority, use it well, know what you have. Know your story. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. When you are disciplining a child, you should have first controlled yourself. What right have you to say to your child that he needs discipline when you obviously need it yourself? Self-control, the control of temper, is an essential prerequisite in the control of others. Hello, somebody. Oh, this, this, this is hard to preach, my brothers and sisters. Like, I... I grow in this with my kids. I'm better today than I was. But I married a counselor. And I get called out a lot. My wife calls me out a lot. Lovingly, kindly. I don't know if you get the pain I experienced because I married a counselor. I literally, uh, side story, I literally came down one morning, and, and we've had four months of, of just really tough with our kid, four year, our five-year-old. It's been really challenging. And all of a sudden, I come down, and I realize my wife has changed parenting strategy overnight. I'm like, I walk in, I go, nope. <laughs> I just walk out. Like, I was literally like, I don't have the skills to completely change every interaction I have with this kid and do a different style of parenting. She does, because she does that every day in therapy. She's changing different, like, parent, uh, counseling paradigms, behavioral cognitive therapy, solution-focused therapy, so she knows what to do, and I'm just like, uh, you're, nope, nope. I just had to disengage. I just have to admit, like, my wife is more talented at this than I am. But this was eight months ago, I'm a reader. I love to read. I read a ton. And my wife, man, she said to me, John, why don't you like to read children books on parenting? I was like, that's below the belt. I, I don't. I hate them. 
it's too boring. My ADHD won't, like, I get so bored. I have to read stuff I care about and I'm engaged with. And I allow my ADHD to be the excuse of not working on how to not provoke, how to not, to get wisdom in parenting. Like, do you work on your reputation at work? Do you think about how you are being perceived? Are you working on skills at work, parents? The question I would have is, are you working on skills with not provoking your children? Have you read anything about their personality? If you have a sensitive kid, a tough kid, a very logical kid, we must learn about our children to not provoke them. Okay, as I start to wrap up, Look at, look at 6.4. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up. From the very beginning, we're supposed to bring them up, to send them out. The goal is not to keep them. The goal is to prepare them to leave. I would argue that sheltering your kid until they're 18 is probably not a great idea. Why? Because they're not prepared to leave. There's a time, I want my kids to fail while they're with me because I need them to, to learn how to fail when they're with me, not when they're out on their own. I am in charge of bringing them up. I'm not in charge of making sure they're holy and never have a sin and never see anything that's inappropriate. I'm charged with raising them up. How do we deal with inappropriate stuff? How do we deal with sin in, that, that comes at us, temptation that comes at us? How do I deal with the sin in my own heart? That's what we're called to do. We're called to discipline, to, have a, to bring authority in their life, to shape them, to mold them. The Greek here, discipline is not the best translation. It, it has this part of nurture involved with it. And so the, the English word can get, that get a little confused, but nurture is involved here. Because how do I shape them and mold them to be who they need to be, to make decisions on their own? And look at the last, the last phrase, of the Lord. This is not the instruction, the wisdom, the discipline of Pastor John. This is of the Lord. And then we're supposed to raise them up instruction of the Lord. We're supposed to teach them the ways of the Lord. I think there's a lot we've thought about on these subjects, and I'm not going to get into uh, kind of this parenting philosophy type of thing. But Eugene Peterson has a book called this, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. That's what I want for my kids. I want to start them on this path towards obedience so that they are not having to start this over when they're 18, 22, 29, 35. I want this long obedience to start when they're in my home because they've interacted with me. One, one pastor says, this text is saying, hey, pastor dads, we're all pastors to our children. Pastor moms, we are supposed to be leading our children. Don't expect the children's ministry here to do all the raising of kids in the biblical ways. Don't expect Trinity. Don't expect classical school. It's our job. It's our job. And, and now let me speak to, like, that is overwhelming. <laughs> That's hard. Like, let me tell you a secret about leadership and pastoring, okay? 
we don't know what we're doing. We come out of school with all this head knowledge, but then we say it and you guys don't change. Right? I think I can come up here and give this great eloquent thing and then like people are going to fall out to the Lord and change radically, but guess what? That's just not how life works. Life is slow change. It's fruit, fruits of the Spirit. What some scholars will say is that, that that's intentionally using an agricultural metaphor, meaning there are seasons where fruit grows rapidly, where you actually see the growth. But there are seasons of winter where you don't see any of the growth, but actually things are happening that are preparing for those times of rapid growth that you see. And so I think we're called to a long road of obedience. And I think that's a lot of what this parent is. You are not supposed to have it all perfect before you grow your children up in the Lord. If you learn something today, I think that is grounds to go share that with them today. Be half a step ahead of them. If, if, if that's where you're at, half a step. It's not, it's not this you have to have it all together, a program of just talking to them about the Lord, teaching them the Lord. Um, I believe this is a Southern Baptist church. Maybe some of you guys didn't even know that. But we evangelicals have this allergic reaction to anything routine in our faith. It's too rigid. It's too liturgical. Of, of, of like a catechism type of a thing. Of something, a catechism is, is the sentence that, that like sums up a lot of, of theology and you kind of memorize it for a week. And it's just memorization. It's knowledge-based. This text says build them up in knowledge. Instruction. That's, it's, it's, it, one of the definitions of that is a group of knowledge. I encourage you, New City Catechism is wonderful. It's by uh, Crossway and Gospel Coalition. Tim Keller did it. And it's fantastic. And so I think that we need to be doing routines in our faith. We need to have habits of our faith. And I think we evangelicals have allergic reactions to that, and I don't think it's helpful or healthy. As I wrap up, I just want to say, I know this is hard. I know parenting is really challenging. I wish it was easy answers. Last night, I was up at 2 o'clock, 4 o'clock, and 5.30. And one of those times, I wanted to yell. It is hard. But I, I will say that it's the most meaningful thing I've ever partaken in. It is just absolutely amazing and special. And parents, we didn't have to fix ourselves up as we came to Jesus, Right? We don't have to make sure I'm all pretty and beautiful and wrapped up and perfect and then God will accept me. Why do you expect that in your parenting? That I need to be, in order to discipline, be their pastor, that I have to have it all perfect and then I can do it. I would say that you need the gospel with how you parent. 
You need to literally just take the first step and then another step. And that's the, that's the walk of sanctification. I think it's the walk of parenting too. Think about this. If I, <laughs> uh, I, I, I run uh, orphan care stuff at our church and I was just in a meeting the other week and they said, man, we have an overemphasis of how hard like being a foster parent is. We talk about it way too much and it's kind of causing this branding problem. I was like, yeah, that's, that's really valid. I hear that a lot. And I, and I was like, well, like, if I heard how hard being a parent, biological parent was going to be, <laughs> I would have waited a decade. But parenting is you, all of a sudden, you got it and you need to learn. That's what it's like. That's how God, I was God's way. So may we do that. That we not try to be perfect, but may we parent how we came to Jesus with the gospel. Come as you are. Do what you can. Grow. Learn. Don't provoke. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you. We need you. Lord, I pray for the children in this room. I pray that they would know how deep, wide, and long, and high is the love of Christ. May they be taught the authority of God through parents. May they obey. May they see the goodness in this. Lord God, I pray for parents, fathers, in this room. Would we be people who do not provoke Will we be people that learn self-control, grow in self-control, so that we do not influence our kids towards anger, hate, and sin? May we do our work. And may we also not be lazy, just have them watch TV, play with other kids, and not instruct them and guide them and lead them in what it is to grow up as a child of God. Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to live in the gospel with this. To live in the grace. To live in that we don't have to come at this as perfection, but we get to come as messed up people that we are and that you love us and you died for us and we have your righteousness, your value, our shame is wiped away. Lord, be with us, guide us, help us to live in your strength. Praise in Jesus' name.